welcome to the sermon podcast of St. Matthias Anglican Church in Katy, Texas. Today's sermon was delivered by Father Jason Grote. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. These are the words that we heard in our Old Testament lesson this morning from Joshua chapter 24. And this statement has a backstory with the Israelites, especially coming from the person who spoke them, that of Joshua. If we remember our stories from our youth, we know that 12 men went to spy on Canaan. 10 were bad, 2 were good. God had Moses send 10 men, one from each of the 12 tribes of Israel that came out of Egypt, into the promised land to spy it out and to bring back a report. And they ended up spending 40 days in that land, and they saw great and plentiful things, huge grape clusters, pomegranates, and figs. But they also saw how great the people were in that land, and they feared. So 10 of those 12 came back and said, there's no way, we can't conquer them. These people are giants, they're Nephilim. But two of those 12 said, with God on our side, we can't lose. And one of those two was named Caleb. And the other one was the very man who said those opening words, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. They had just come out of Egypt. They had escaped from the hand of Pharaoh with ten plagues that ransacked Egypt. They walked through the middle of the sea on dry land. They had the great cloud of God and the pillar of God's fire with them. They saw the lightning and the wonders of God at the foot of Sinai. They were fed with manna from heaven and water that came forth from a rock. But yet their heart was filled with fear. Fear of men instead of faith in God. Oftentimes our fears can pull us away from God, can't they? I don't know about you, but I have to admit that there are times that I'm afraid to ask God for certain things, precisely because I'm afraid he might grant it and what that might mean for me. Or I know that there are certain things I know that that God has promised But for me to lay hold and to grab such a promise, well, that might require me to go through areas I don't want to go through or do things that I'm not really sure I want to do or face things that I don't really want to face. And that fear and those thoughts, well, they're strong. For the men of Israel, how would they beat the people of that land? God promised it, but how would they break down their fortifications? How would they overtake them? What kind of weapons would they have that could conquer these giants? We can't go in to that land. And the majority won. Ten beats two, and their fear won out over their faith. Now fast forward 40 years. If we remember, they wander for 40 years as a punishment, not because the wilderness was so big or they didn't know where they were going, Because their fear of man outweighed their faith in God, God said that they would wander one year for each day that they had spied out the land. So 40 days meant 40 years 
of wandering. Furthermore, no one from the first generation would get to go into the promised land, save Caleb and Joshua. So now under Joshua's command, the next generation follows in the way of their parents. They've now crossed the Jordan River. Again, in miraculous fashion, like as to the Red Sea, God opens the Jordan so that they can cross. They set up a memorial of rocks in the riverbed, an Ebenezer of sorts, a memorial that perpetually said and reminded them that God did this for us. They defeated Jericho, again, only by the might of God, like as the mighty acts of God against Pharaoh. After marching for seven days around the city and blowing the trumpets, the walls fell at the feet of God. The Ark of the Covenant then went before them in battle from city to city into all the cities of the promised land, expelling and conquering them all. And now the land that their parents were so afraid of, the land their parents praised but were afraid to go and possess, was actually theirs. The faith that Joshua and Caleb expressed 40 years earlier, let's go get it, God will give it to us, is now realized. And it's with this background and this history that we find Joshua speaking the parting words of the book that bears his name. As the 12 tribes are about to enter their promised rest, as they were about to disperse and go into their several areas of the land, each to their own tribal area, Joshua issues to them this parting exhortation. Choose this day whom you will serve. Or to frame it with a question format, who will you serve? As you go to begin your new lives in the land that God has given you, Will you serve the false gods, these idols, these gods of other people that haven't done a blasted thing for you? Or will you serve God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of promise who has done all these wondrous and marvelous things and who has brought you into this land that was not yours? And Joshua, like as he did 40 years earlier, proclaims before all the people, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Friends, this 3,500-year-old question of Joshua is the timeless question, the eternal question. The question of whom will ye serve has been asked of every generation since, even of us today. Jesus essentially asks it when he teaches you cannot serve two masters. He says it again in the words, whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. It's the eternal question with the eternal purpose and the eternal consequence. Who will you serve? And I doubt that there's any one of us that would stand here this day and answer in a way other than to say, I serve God. I don't think any of us would say, I choose this over God or I choose that over God. I mean, there are those in this world who would definitely say that, but not us, for otherwise we wouldn't be here. But the truth is, we're asked this very question on a daily basis because daily we're challenged with competing forces, competing forces for our time, competing forces for our money, competing forces for our thoughts, competing forces for our worship, competing forces for our devotion. In a world that ever increases in terms of our ability to be connected, 
It's assumed that you'll be married more and more to your job than you are to your family or to your church or to God. In a world that ever increases in terms of what is available to our fingertips in an instant, the more and more we are drawn to bringing on outside entertainment and temptations instead of filling ourselves with the truths and the words of God. In a world that ever increases the amount that we can spend and the credit cards to borrow it on, the more we are drawn into the world of slavery to our debt, to live and, to beyond, and, live and buy beyond our means, such that we cannot give to God and support his works. In a world that makes a, a plethora of products available to us, the more and more we are drawn to have and to have more and to have it now, only to realize that the treasures of this earth, as our Savior says, rust and corrupt and do not give us lasting satisfaction. And the truth is, the more that we're filled with these things, the more we're enslaved to these things. And the more that we seek these things, so much the more God is crowded out. The more our devotion to God is relegated to lip service versus a wholehearted devotion of faith like Joshua. I mean, this is the situation we find in our gospel lesson today. In Luke chapter 19, we find Jesus approaching Jerusalem. And as he crests over the nearby mountains, he sees the city walls before him. He sees the Temple Mount standing above the rest of the landscape before him. And what does he do? St. Luke says that Jesus was grieved. He wept. He wept because they weren't ready for God's visitation. The very people whom God had done so much for, the very people who were supposed to serve him, the very people who were supposed to be a light upon the hill, both literally in Jerusalem and figuratively within the world, were not ready for the time when God himself came into their midst. And as Jesus enters the city and the temple, he then cleanses the temple. Now why does he do that? It was because the house of God was being perverted and used for personal gain. Those in charge, those who had the responsibility of the temple worship, corrupted the system for their own welfare. So much so that God was crowded out of the very place that was to be his home among his people. And this just goes to show that the question of Joshua isn't just one for the world or for those who aren't in the church, or those who have just come into the church. It's an eternal question that should always be asked of us, such that we never waver in our answer. Who do you serve? Who do you stand for? And I chose our sermon hymn today because I thought the opening words were very appropriate for that question. Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Friends, that is who we stand for. That is who we serve. We do not serve our bellies. We do not serve our fleshly appetites. We do not serve anything or anyone but the God who has given us all things. He is our purpose. He is our calling in life. Choose this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord.
We pray that God's Spirit has spoken to you and blessed you today through this sermon. If you would like to learn more about St. Matthias Anglican Church, you can visit us on the web at www.stmkaty.org.